for those of you who are joining, thank you very much. Uh, one thing I failed to do last week is introduce myself. Um, I think I gave my name and, and took off like a rocket after that. My name is Dale Lavoie. I've been here with a GCF for about the last 10 years. Uh, my wife and I uh, have five children, and we also uh, are hosting a community group in our, in our home um, first three Sundays of the month. So by way of discussion, what I would like to do is, again, there was uh, some, some use of Slido, so if this is benefit for anybody, again, if you have a conversation, we're, we're a smaller group, we could be in a smaller room, we're spread out, uh, but it's still, if, that, if raising a question is intimidating, please don't hesitate to uh, raise your hand, just interject, uh, but if you'd like to, then we have Slido, and this is the, um, uh, you can scan that, and that will bring you right into the Slido, and we can see if there's any questions afterwards. Actually, I left my phone up on my, my coat, so I won't be able to see if there's any questions. Maybe Ben, can you bring me up my, my phone? Uh, so that's with that. Um, so now, by way of review of where we've been and where we're going, again, this is a, a 10-week session uh, series. Uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll get through this, uh, Lord willing. Pray for, for grace in that regard. Thank you, Ben. So yesterday, last, last week, we talked about the gospel and politics. Uh, this week, we'll be talking about the Christian worldview, viewing the world in light of God's self-revelation. And that will be the topic for today. Then we'll get into competing worldviews, viewing the world while at war with reality. The, uh, the, the church and its relationship to the state, a theology of the, of the civil government. Those will kind of set the stages before we talk anything about policy. So, um, last week we talked about the... the the first priorities for this series, first priorities would be that we would honor and rejoice in God as our creator, sustainer, judge, and as redeemer, and in the good news of his kingdom, and that we would prioritize the gospel in talking with others about any topic, but certainly topic uh, around politics. So what, and one thing I, I also, my, my mind, you can pray for me, my mind I think was going about 90 miles an hour last week, and my notes were, were intended for about 50, so just trying to keep my, my pacing so that I'm not racing ahead. The one thing uh, that this series is not about, it's not about advocating specific candidates, it's not advocating specific parties, it's not about advocating um, specific ballot majors, my hope is to facil facilitate your own consideration of your views, and that I would consider my own views, and consider those, uh, the underlying reasons you come to your views in light of Scripture. So there's an, the adage, give a man a fish, you'll feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, and you'll feed him for a lifetime. My hope is that you're not gonna take any specific policy issues from me this entire series. You'll probably catch a few. However, if I, if I invigorate you for a sense of desire to uh, um, lay into this topic on your own, then that will, I will count that as an absolute success. So the plan, again, the plan for this session is to go through 
that we would consider how we come to our political positions, and that's really the larger uh, context for the rest of the series, to set forth the worldview or belief system put forth by God's self-revelation in the Bible. Why do I say self-revelation? Well, we tend to think of the Bible as just this book written by, some, some of, sometimes we can think of the Bible as written by 66, as 66 books, written by a whole number of people. It's God's revelation to us. So it's in that light that we want to consider this topic. So before we move on to that, there was one question on Slido from last week I'd like to briefly address uh, to keep my word about addressing these, these questions. How do I view my anger toward professing Christians that hold non-biblical views? This was posed to me. And I would say, first off, there's just a few, just a few brief points. God uh, is, gives us anger when viewing just, injustice and destructive ideas. It's a natural, God-given element for us. Now, once we understand that, be very aware of God's patience and goodness and gentleness and grace and mercy with you in your brokenness and your ignorance and in your rebellion. And let this cultivate humility, love, patience, goodness, gentleness with you when you interact with others. Pray for this cultivation, pray for mercy, pray for grace and illumination for those particular people. With this in mind, when you speak with them, speak with love and patience. And if you want to um, and seek to understand them, be forthright, be amicable, um, and attempt to, to delight in Christ in their presence, which means being interested and being curious about them. Again, that's from last week. So moving on, how do we come to our political positions? So a question that I might pose to everybody, after last week, and we talked about humility, we talked about patience, we talked about love, we talked about considering others before we consider ourselves, does that bring us to a position where we see that all, other, all political issues, all non-central issues are relative? Is that what we would come to? Are all political positions um, equally valid? No, not at all, not even remotely. So with this, how do we come to, let me, let me back up and say, how do we come to any position? How do we come to a position not only on politics, but on any cultural issue? How do we understand uh, philosophy or economy, ethics, morality? How do we come to any position? What directs your individual values, goals, and incentives, how do we determine lifestyle choices? See, when we consider what's at the very base of what drives your politics, really that's at the very base of what drives you as a person, your values, your interests, your goals. So let me start with an analogy of a river, and then sorry to afflict you with my fantastic graphic design here. <clears throat> What happens at one point in the river fundamentally, happen, uh, fundamentally impacts what the river will be like downstream. So I live on the Little Spokane River. I go up five miles and I dump in a bunch of pesticides. How is that going to affect where I live? It's going to impact it for a long, long time. 
Likewise, when we consider how we derive, how we get to our political positions, we need to understand that politics is downstream from culture. What do I mean by that? All questions and stance about political issues flow from a cultural understanding. Said another way, politics is an outworking of our culture. An example might be specific laws against shoplifting, whatever they are on the books, whatever they are on the regs. Where does that particular law flow from for for our country? It flows from a cultural value about private property. So we have politics, and that's downstream from culture. So if we're going to have a conversation about politics, we should probably understand where we're driving, getting in in our culture. Well, taking a step back from there, our culture is downstream from worldview. So all questions around culture issues flow from a a belief system. Said another way, culture is an outworking of that belief system. An example, we just talked about valuing private property. Okay, that's a cultural value that we have. So where would that flow from? For us as Christians, that flows from the fact that God has revealed that the taking of property of someone else is forbidden. Right there, we have the, the root cause of our belief system that there should be um, laws against shoplifting. We believe that people own the product of their labor. That's an out, that, that comes from that core belief that God has said, do not steal from other people. Everybody tracking with me on this? So, we have that politics is downstream of culture, culture is downstream of worldview, now we get to the core of it. Worldview is downstream from a a presumed belief system or a theology. What's your belief system? That's just simply another word for theology. What do you believe about the world? Everybody has, and this is the thing about it. Devout Christian, devout Muslim, atheist, agnostic, it doesn't matter. Everyone has a a worldview that drives them and drives their understanding and drives their values. We need to understand how to view this world that God created and conflicting views with that. So there are views that, that are out there, obviously, that conflict with our Christian with a Christian worldview. Well, way too often we adopt some of those views without even being aware of it. So we have at the, at, the, at the very top of the stream is a belief system. That's what flows into your cultural views and your political views. So this begs a question. If we're talking about a belief system, then there's at least a, 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 a conversation to be had around what is truth. Truth, that, uh, truth is that which conforms to fact or reality. It is genuine, it is objective, it is real. It is not a product of our individual imagine, imagination or preference. It is not the product of a collective consensus. It remains a fact even if everybody denies it. We could all gather together and, and have a vote. I don't believe that gravity should be a law anymore. And we could, we, it could be unanimous. It wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter a bit. We could all gather around and say, I vote that we should be able to, to uh, kill everybody in Chatteroy. All in favor? Doesn't matter. 
That, would, that, that does not make that, that, that collective decision holds no, no truth. So, how do we find truth? So, there is such a thing of truth. Our, our own lived experiences tell us that there is such a thing of, as truth. There are worldviews that would say there really is no truth at all, but our lived experiences. Someone says there is no truth, you say, fine, give me, give me your wallet. Oh, hold it. Suddenly, they have a barrier against their, their, they have a stance that there is no truth. And I say, give me your wallet. And suddenly, they realize that they're uncomfortable with their own stance. So, how do we find this truth? Truth is to be discovered, it is not to be invented. It is not a product of, of consensus, not a vote. It is not de determined by a cultural moment. That's kind of going contrary to what we hear in a lot of the media and a lot of the cultural um, influencers. No, truth is not a product of that. So, um, fantastic quote on this from the Supreme Court, Justice Anthony Kennedy, uh, in, in a course of, uh, in a case with Casey, he said this. At the heart, and now, this is where unbelief will bring you. This is where the cultural moment brings us. Is that too small? No. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and the mystery of human life. What do we think about that? What do we think about this? Liberty means to define my, that's slavery to a lie. That's not liberty. If, if I come up with my own concept, then I say, well, fantastic, Justice Kennedy, my concept of freedom is coming and killing your family. Hold it. There has to be a standard, and it certainly is not the one that was inspired by, by, Kenth, by um, Kennedy's words here. So let me, let me give an example. A ball is dropping. My mind sits inside of my skull and it requires input. So if my mind uh, cannot see the effects of, of, of gravity on a ball that has dropped in front of me because I'm maybe blind, maybe deaf, maybe my eyes are closed, maybe my, uh, I have my hands over my ears, I will not be able to see the effects of that I need, uh, my mind is dependent upon being informed. It needs, the, the reality of the ball dropping, that needs to be revealed to my mind. It needs to be revealed to me. In the same way, we're just talking about the senses of sight and hearing to see this ball dropping. How much more to understand the complexity of how the world was made, ethics. That needs to be revealed to us. And within the scriptures, we can see that we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit for that revelation to come. Truth about the world and how it is designed is revealed and discovered. We are dependent upon God revealing. This is true. If we look at the sunset and we say, God Glory to you for, for the how you've made the world. God has revealed that to me. If, I, if another person steps up and says, isn't that a random refractory of light? That means nothing, because we're all from nothing. He sees the light, but his mind is, is blind. 
from the Christian mind, <clears throat> pardon me, the marks of truth as Christianity conceived are that it is supernaturally grounded, not developed within nature. It is objective and not subjective. It is a revelation and not a construction. That it is discovered by inquiry and not elected by a majority vote. That it is authoritative and not a matter of personal choice. Great quote. What does he mean by constructed? I want to maybe with that, that phrase there where we talk about it is, a, it is revelation and not a construction. A construction is something I think up in my own mind. I'm just kind of putting it together. I, I will be in my brain without looking at the ball, without hearing it bounce. I will be without any ability to understand reality. It needs to be revealed to me. The truth about the world and how it is designed is not invented independently of the God who made the world. This is the lie that first came from the Garden of Eden. What was that lie? That wisdom can be found apart from God. But this is not limited to spiritual issues. This is not only limited to the fact that Jesus was born and died and raised again. This impacts all areas of thought, of endeavor, whether it's not, it's not just about politics, but includes biology, astronomy, economics, aesthetics, ethics, law, psychology, everything. If there is a, if there's a, a area of study that encompasses something that was created something about God, then it impacts these areas. So we talked about truth, what, it, what is truth? How do we find truth? We are dependent upon God for that revelation. So now let's talk about worldview. So what is a worldview? A worldview is a framework or set of fundamental beliefs through which we view the world and our calling and future in it. It may also be internalized that it goes largely unquestioned. And I would submit to you that largely unquestioned is probably how the vast majority of people walk through this life. They, are, they have a worldview that they are unaware of. It is the standard by which reality is managed and pursued. It is a set of hinges on which um, all of our everyday thinking and doing turns. So, that's in short script, you can redefine, it could be, that's one definition, I think it's a fair definition. So then that brings us, and I will say at the outset, there's a book that I'm gonna mention, I'm, a lot of the, the outline, I'm, I'm indebted to a, an author, and I'll make a reference to that later. But there are various commitments that each of us make, and each person in our world makes, when they go through life and they have a worldview. What is prime reality? What does that mean? Is there one God? There are many gods. Many, maybe we're, we are gods. Maybe we're small gods. Maybe there is no God and it's only matter and a fundamental laws of, of, of science. It's just a material cosmos. That's the most fundamental uh, way to contextualize prime reality. What is prime reality? Every worldview has to have issues, some form of statement on what prime reality is. 
What is the nature of external reality? Is it created or autonomous? Is it chaotic, without meaning, or is it orderly? Is it matter or spirit, both? Whether we emphasize our subjective, um, so that's uh, the nature of external reality. There's gonna be a, a stance that's taken. Next, what is a human being? Every worldview makes a statement about what a human being is. A highly complex machine, a sleeping god, a person made in the image of God, maybe a naked ape, maybe a meaningless clump of atoms and cells. Again, these are fundamental elements of everyone's worldview, whether they think about it or not. What happens to a person at death? Is it personal extinction? Is it transformation to a higher state? Reincarnation? Again, <clears throat> people have some form of belief in this regard. Knowledge. How is it possible to know anything at all? We are made in the image of an all-knowing God that reveals or that consciousness and reality developed under the contingencies of survival in a long process of evolution. Those are the options. Each of these have, op each of these have implications for us. How do we know that something is right or wrong? Either we are made in the image of a God whose character is good or right and wrong is determined by human choice alone or what feels good or the notions are simply developed under material evolution. Those are some options. What personal, life-orienting core commitments are consistent with this worldview? Christians might say that their ultimate core commitment is to fulfill the, the, the will of God and to be with him, or to seek first the kingdom of God, or to obey and enjoy him forever, or to be devoted to knowing God and loving God. Naturalists might say is to realize their personal potential for experiencing life. I need to go out and just, there's, there's no God involved. There's simply going out and, and encountering life. So with this, what is your worldview? What is the view by which you view yourself, external reality, morality, all of these questions? And how you answer each of these questions, is it consistent with what you think you believe? The goal of the session is to set forth a biblical worldview put forth by God's revelation in the Bible. Our observations of the world around us validate that Christianity is true, and we'll get into that in a little more. My hope is to stir you up and to provoke you to greater desire and pursue an understanding of Jesus and therefore the gospel and therefore of a biblical, biblical worldview and therefore be more informed. So I'm certainly not gonna hit everything that could be hit here. But if I provoke you to, to read more, ask more questions, pray about this, have conversations, then that's a success. So moving on, moving on here. Let's talk about the Christian worldview. So we talked about prime realities. What's the prime reality for a Christian worldview? Prime reality is that the infinite personal God revealed in the Holy Scriptures, this God is triune, transcendent, 
and imminent, omniscient, sovereign, and good. That makes a huge implication for how we live, how we, how we work as a society, how we look at politics. This God is infinite. He's beyond scope and measure. All other things are secondary to him. He alone is self-existent and the source of, of reality. This God is personal. He is not an impersonal force like electricity or the Star Wars, the force. He is personal. This means that he has self-consciousness. He has self-determination. He is transcendent. This means he's beyond the world. He is not that chair. He is not this table. He is not me. He is, trans- he is beyond this. And yet he is imminent. He is, he is at, at every point. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He is sovereign. Nothing is beyond his control. He is good. He is goodness himself. The character of God is the definition of good. This, if we meditate upon this, if we think, my, if, if, if quite often we think, ah, oh, if I only had it this way, that would be really good. And I rest in that and, and my peace is taken away from me. Because as I see it, my good should be when this thing is fulfilled rather than resting in the fact that I rest in the hands of my Father, and he is good. External reality. I need to move along here. External reality. External reality is that the cosmos, God created out of nothing to operate with the uniformity of cause and effect in a system that he interacts with. It's orderly. Human beings are created in the image of God, thus possess Personality, self-transcendence, intelligence, morality, uh, I think I, gregariousness, and creativity. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, he is God. Who formed the earth and made it? He established it. He did not create it empty. For He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Human beings, and I had this taped up uh, on the last one, that human beings are created in God's image and thus possess personality, self-transcendence, intelligence, morality, gregariousness, Gregariousness, simply the ability that we want to be social. We were created for relationship. We were created to interact. We see that that is a reality in our lives. We are created to interact. When we are isolated, then it impacts us. And we were created by God to interact with him. When I look at your heavens, at the work of your fingers and the moons and the stars, which you have set in place, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. We have a unique place. We are not simply naked apes. We have a unique place. 
part of this worldview is, is grounds for hope and delight for us. Knowledge, how do we come to understand things? Human beings can know both the world around them and God himself because God has built it into them the capacity to do so and because he takes an active role in communicating with them. This is not deism where God winds it up and lets us go off. He is intimately interested and involved. In the beginning was the word. And the word was God, and the word, sorry, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was, uh, was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. God reveals Do you notice in John there how he talks about the word? Christ is the word. What is word? It's communicating. It's revealing. The greatest revelation of the Father is Christ. Here we have him. Behold. How does God reveal himself? Through general revelation. We could say that the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. The day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. God reveals himself in the world that he made, the sunset. He reveals himself in the, in the stars and the moons and the, in the atoms, in the intricacies of the, DNA, of the information DNA. Tremendous reason for hope. In special revelation, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the son from the father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, only God, <clears throat> the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Again, Christ is revealing himself. Human morality. Human beings were created good, but through the fall, the image of God has become defaced, though not so ruined that it could not be capable of restoration. God restored, restores through Jesus Christ. Through the work of Christ, God redeemed and began this process of restoring people to goodness. Death, for each person, death is either the gate of life with God and his, and his people or the gate to eternal separation from the only thing that will ultimately fulfill human aspirations. Morality, morality is transcendent and is based on the character of God. He is holy, he is loving. Core commitments. Christians, as Christian theists, we seek first the kingdom of God, that is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Again, from the Christian mind, the, the Christian mind sees human life and human history held in the hands of God. It sees the whole universe sustained by his power and his love. It sees the natural order as dependent upon the supernatural order, time as contained within eternity, the Christian mind. So what are the implications for this? Are there implications for any any of these things? Well, if we talk about politics, then it's a talk about authority. What is authority? 
So with this question of authority, one, with the question of authority, uh, is, is authority a legitimate concept? What, authorities, uh, what authority structures are legitimate? Can an authority figure be legitimate? Can he be illegitimate? Important questions for us. Is there an ultimate authority? Who or what is that ultimate authority? The question of authority has implications for all of life, not just civics, not just politics, but also individually for families, for churches, workplace. There is a final authority, and that final authority is God, which brings me to my next uh, point, that Jesus Christ is Lord. God had an eternal plan in Christ to create the world. His plans carry on through the present into eternity. This plan is around having intimate fellowship with the redeemed. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded upon the seas and established upon the rivers. Worthy are you, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and by your will they existed and created. He is the creator. He is not simply someone to give us moral visions about how to live a little better life. He created all things. And he has a moral claim on all creatures, whether it's a star, an ant, how much more so for those made in his image. He has a moral claim on every one of us. The most fundamental and relationship of God to his creatures is that there is a creature-creator distinction. He is God, we are not. Our tendency, we come into this world, I want what I want, what are we doing? We are saying, he's not God, my will is more important, and that's basically making ourselves God in this situation. We, as his creatures, we owe him everything. I, I owe him the breath that I'm breathing. God is the Lord, the rightful and only ruler over all things. Christ is Lord. God rightly demands that all perfectly conform to his will and character. That should leave us at least somewhat stammering. Outside of Christ, that's not, that's not feasible, that's not possible. All people, whether they acknowledge it or not, are under the lordship of Christ. Is Jesus simply a moral, morally important for, for those who belong to this sect of humanity called Christianity, but irrelevant to everybody else? All men owe Christ their allegiance and their obedience. To be a rebel against this, to be a rebel against God, is to stand against he who made us is to stand against the very reason we were created. We were created to have fellowship with the creator of the universe. To rebel against this is to rebel against the very reason and design for which we were made. Every endeavor of the creature is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Every, every endeavor that we should take on, we should ask, I'm, I'm taking a different job. 
I'm going to go mow the lawn. I'm going to take a wife. I'm going to run for office. Every activity we do, do it unto the Lord. For the Lord, your God, is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And this is God's response. He who sits in the heavens laughs and the Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Let me skip through the next here. So as we look at this, there is an authority. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. This has implications for all of our daily lives. Christ is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all, Hudson Taylor. So when we come up to this, there's a cultural response. What's the, let me ask, what's a typical view of spirituality and Christianity within our culture? Any, any takers? What's a typical view of spirituality? How, 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 how should I, how, what's the typical view of me talking about my faith to strangers? Dan. Amen, yes. Not amen to the sentiment, but thank you. Yeah, that's exactly what I was looking for. There is a sacred, a secular sacred split that is very prevalent in our culture and probably any, every one of our mindsets. Dale, I'm so happy that Christ is good for you. I'm happy for you in your faith. I really want you to be happy there. But you know what? Don't push it. Don't push it. That is a, that is a belief system that is in contradiction with your Lord Jesus Christ. Your Lord has given you a mission. Go to all the nations, baptizing them, making disciples. That person needs the gospel. He, he doesn't need to be said, well, yeah, you're right. This is just my personal thing. That is a contradiction that is a prevalent part, has a prevalent spot within our nation. So, the gospel is like a caged lion said the great Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon. It does not need to be defended. It simply needs to be let out of its cage. Today, the cage of our accommodation to the secular sacred split that reduces Christianity to a matter of personal belief. To unlock the cage, we need to become utterly convinced that as Francis Schaeffer said, Christianity is not merely religious truth. It is total truth truth about the whole of reality. This is at the very basic of, when we talk about politics, it's coming down to this point. 
understanding a worldview has many important implications. And here's just two uh, important implications that goes beyond politics. And he brings it back to you personally in your devotion, in your walk in, in life. Nope, I skipped this one. Um, still with the sacred split, the danger is that Christians do not conscientiously develop a biblical approach to a subject. Then they will conscientious, unconscientiously absorb some other political approach. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but, you know, I really don't think we should have missions. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but, you know, sexuality is such a personal, that, that has nothing to do with my faith. There are issues which I would just simply implore you, if you disagree with something that you hear me intonating, I would ask, simply examine it so that you would have a worldview that's consistent. So there are, as an aside, worldview is not only important for understanding how we come to the world, but as an apologetic. The Christian worldview is the only view that gives a coherent and complete reason for the world as we see it. Why is the world fallen? I can account for that, the fall. There's so, if, we, if we look at this, and again, I'm, this is an aside, I'm, I wanted to urge you to consider this, um, that the Christian worldview accounts alone for the existence of science, of beauty, logic, morality, meaning, ethics, cause and effect. And this is testified by our lived out experiences. I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. That is the truth of Christianity. It is not a private truth with no relevance to my life. It is all of life. It is everything. Worldview as a reason for worship. So not only does, the world, does, world, does a Christian worldview bolster our confidence in God through an apologetic, it should also really lead us to a sense of worship. And again, remember, the goal of the series was to, to help us honor and rejoice. As you see a consistent worldview, it's like seeing a beautiful painting that is done masterfully. It is done orderly, in an orderly fashion, and it displays the beauty of the subject. As you look at worldview, it should foster in you a sense of honor for God and rejoicing. What a wonderful, God is, look at this. Look at the details of the information on DNA. God's amazing. Look, look at this, look at the, the intricacies of the atom. Look at the intricacies. It should all bring us to a sense of awe and a sense of worship. This should drive our love and our affection for him. This leads to, again, worship. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him. All you shining stars, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he is commanded and they were created. This, as we look at all these things, this should lead us to a sense of personal affection for the glories of God. So as we look at viewing the world in light of God's self-revelation, we find that it is also a pathway to true joy and fulfillment. It's, as we look at the scriptures, it affirms that Christ is beautiful. As we look at, the, at, the, at our world through the lens of the scriptures, it affirms that Christ is beautiful. 
by way of review, and boy, you're, you're all used to a three-point uh, sermon with, with, with Dave, and I just say, I'm sorry. But again, I didn't expect that you would retain everything, but if I could get you on one or two quotes or points and, and aggravate you and stir you up to, to read, then I will have achieved my goal. So resources. Total Truth, Liberating Christianity from Its Cultural Captivity. Fantastic, it's a big book. Well worth the time. I hope you put it on your reading list. It is worth the time. Uh, the Consequences of Ideas, Understanding the Concepts That Shape a World by R.C. Sproul. Talks about the different main philosophers throughout history. And again, the ideas that they, cre- that they came up with have implications. The Universe Next Door, a basic worldview catalog by, by Sire. This is the book that I used to a large extent for, for this outline and a lot of this content. And please don't think that you've listened to me for 40 minutes and you've got, captured everything that book has to say. No, no, I've merely scratched the tiniest of, of the surface. I would, I would encourage you, if it's at all uh, interesting to you, to, to pursue that book. The Christian Mind, How Should the Christians Think? Again, how do we think with a biblical worldview in the midst of our secular environment? We know we say here's, to our high school kids, here's here's a, here's a, a diploma, go off to college. Well, if they're raised in the fear and the admonition and the knowledge of the Lord, perhaps they're prepared, but they're going into a place most likely where their their faith will be attacked. <clears throat> that would be a good college gift. Um, con- uh, the conscience, what it is, how to train it, how to love those who differ. This kind of goes back, uh, thanks Dan. Dan brought this to my attention. This is not a book that I've read, but I love Dan. And uh, I've looked through this. This has to do with the, the topic last week. How do we cultivate a conscience that helps us to love those who differ? Loving those who differ, that's a bigger deal than having your politics right. Though, having your politics right is of significant importance because it shows how we love our neighbor. We are out of time, but are there any questions, any comments? I've been kind of driving this train and not allowing anybody to interject. Any, any questions? Yes. Thank you for that. They're both in the bookstore, so they're, they are available right there. Oh, yes. Well, I, I read through those. I, di- I didn't have a slide for it. So you didn't miss it. You were, you were well attentive. Um, I can't get to Slido. I don't know if, if anybody's on there, if, you, if there's any comments or questions from the Slido. So next week, unless there's any, any comments or questions, um, if anything that you've heard, please reach out. I'm happy for a conversation over email. Give me, give me a phone call. Let's go out to coffee. Let's talk about this. I'm more than happy to pursue that. Next week, we'll talk about the worldviews that are at war with God and therefore at war with reality and how that shapes us, how that shapes our culture, how that shapes our politics. 
Thank you. Let's, let's pray. Our God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you have revealed yourself. You are our God who reveals yourself. And you revealed yourself wonderfully to us. You have lavished us with great truth here at GCF, and we are grateful. God, we pray in this regard that you would reveal yourself uh, as we go through this series, that we would first and foremost love and adore and rejoice and honor you. God, reveal your mind to us as we understand the world around us and as it pertains to politics, authority, all those questions. God, help us to love one another because you have lavished us with love. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.